Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6 is where we find ourselves this morning as we have been journeying through Mark's Gospel account of Jesus' life and his ministry. This morning, we'll cover Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through verse 29 in a message entitled, Rejection, Expansion, and Opposition. As we prepare to do that, have you ever found yourself in a place where you needed to have a difficult conversation? Where you had to say something that needed to be said, something that the person you were talking to needed to hear, but you weren't exactly sure how to have that conversation with them without them getting upset. Church, I've shared this, if you've been at North River for any length of time, a couple of years back, there's a fascinating tool that you can use that's called a compliment sandwich. (laughs) Compliment sandwich. So here's what you have to understand about a compliment sandwich. You need to speak the truth that needs to be spoken, but you sandwich it in between compliments. So think about this. Maybe some of you can identify. Maybe your spouse snores terribly. No one can imagine that, right? Who's married, been married for any length of time. And you need to have a conversation about that. You say, honey, I just want you to know how much I love you. Your snoring is horrendous. You know, I cannot imagine being married to anyone else, and I'm so thankful to the Lord for you. (laughs) Do you see that? A little bit easier to swallow when there is a compliment sandwich. You know, what's interesting, though, is as we look at the text this morning, we don't have a compliment sandwich. In fact, we have something very different from that as Mark is encouraging us to understand who Jesus is, what Jesus has accomplished, the fact that he is the Son of God, that he is the long-awaited Savior, the Messiah, what we're going to see is kind of a parenthesis in the midst of the text as we've been looking at Jesus teaching in parables, as we've been looking at Jesus performing miracles in power, there's a parenthesis that we're going to see here, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 29 of chapter 6. And I want to call this this morning the reality sandwich. Imagine with me that there is a glorious truth fixed in the middle of what we're about to talk about, but to understand it, to grasp it, to recognize how beautiful it is, we have to understand the reality that we are facing as followers of Jesus. As we look at the text this morning, I want you to write down these parallel passages that go along with the text this morning. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through verse 42. Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 58. Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. 
in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. I would simply encourage you in your own time with the Lord over the course of this next week to take some opportunity to review the truths that we're going to talk about and to dive even a little bit deeper into these stories through the other gospel writers' accounts of Jesus' life and his ministry. I want to read for us, beginning in verse 1 of Mark chapter 6, this is God's word. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. As we dive in, beginning with these verses and continuing on through verse 29 this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together in God's Word. It's this truth, we have absolutely everything we need to accomplish the mission of Jesus. See, the truth is, for every single one of us who are followers of Jesus, Jesus has given us a mission to complete. That is, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize, to teach them all that Jesus has commanded them. For us, as a church family, that is our responsibility. That is our task. Why does North River Church exist? It exists to make disciples of all nations. That's why we are here. We talk about the vision campaign. That's the purpose for which it exists, so that we would make disciples. And I want you to know this morning that as we think through that, we often need a reality check in this moment. We need a reality check to recognize what is it going to take to actually make disciples. What I love about Jesus' life and his ministry is that it unpacks for us things that we often don't think that much about. And for Jesus in this moment, the verses that we just read, what we're about to see happening with his disciples, and, and then the grand picture of what's going on opposition-wise, it reminds us that this mission that we've been called to fulfill is not an easy mission but that we have everything we need to accomplish what Jesus has given us to accomplish. 
as we begin to walk through the text, I want you to notice, first of all, in verses 1 through verse 6, as we seek to fulfill Jesus' mission, we should expect cultural rejection. We should expect cultural rejection. I want you to notice what's going on in verses 1 through verse 6. Jesus goes back to his hometown. And he does what he has been doing everywhere else. He enters into the synagogue. He begins to teach. Similar response, they hear his teaching and they wonder, hey, we know this guy. We know his mom and dad. We know his siblings. We know that his dad is a carpenter. How did he get this type of wisdom? Now notice that in the other places that Jesus has taught, they were amazed. They were wondering how in the world he could teach like that with authority, with power. But if you notice in the text here, what it says is that they took offense at him. They were offended by the fact that Jesus was standing before them. We know Jesus. We understand who his parents are. We know his background. We know all of this. And and how dare he stand before us and teach in such a way to act as if he has certain authority. We know who his mom and dad are. If you notice Jesus' response, he said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Heartbreakingly in verse 5, watch this. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marveled because of their unbelief. What we've seen leading up to this point is Jesus performing miracles in power, Jesus teaching in authority. We're seeing all of that on display in Mark's gospel up until this moment until Jesus comes back to his own hometown. And he begins to teach there, but in their minds... They're not willing to receive it. And then it says that he could do no mighty work there. The mighty works that we've seen leading up to this point, the things that Jesus has done miraculously in this world. Remember, a picture of the kingdom coming says that he could not do them there because of their unbelief. They were unwilling to receive Jesus what he taught, what he would do to heal. As we think through that for ourselves, Jesus experienced rejection. And I just want to remind us, follower of Jesus, in this world in which we live, this is to be expected. That's not what we want to hear I know that. Everybody wants to be liked. 
We want people to receive us. We want people to like us. We want people to want to be around us. And yet we see here in Jesus' life and his ministry, it'll continue. It's just amplified in this passage. Jesus is rejected by those closest to him. I just want to remind us of a couple of truths as we think through that. One is just the reality of the cultural moment that we live in today. The reality of the moment. Paul in Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through verse 32 is going to to shine light. I'd encourage you, there's going to be a ton of scripture that's going to come up over the next time that we have together. And I just want you to write it down and go back and spend some time working through it. But Paul writes this to those in Rome. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then he goes on to say that God's invisible attributes are clearly seen and that it's enough to condemn someone that they are without excuse. But instead, they've become foolish in their thinking. They worship the creature instead of the creator. And Paul says, God, as a result of that reality, gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to dishonorable passions, to debased minds. And then in verse 29, listen to this and ask yourself very carefully, is this not the culture in which we find ourselves in today? It says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Church, that is the world in which we live. That is the water in which we are swimming every single moment of every single day. I told you that this would be a reality check on the front end, the back end, and the good stuff's going to be right in the middle. Here's your reality check. This is the world in which we live. It is a world that is broken as a result of sin. It is a world that is desperately in need of hope. And the only hope that can be found is in Jesus Christ. But we should expect cultural rejection. You know, as we think through our responsibility as a church family, Certainly for us, we want to hold out the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we want to do that in love. There's no need for us to be jerks about it, amen? We don't have to be jerks about it. But hear me this morning that if we are willing to stand and hold fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of what God's word proclaims, we must expect a culture around us that has no interest often in the things of God to reject us. Do not let that surprise you. 
not only do I want us to take note of the reality, but I also want you to take note of a reminder. John 15, verse 18, Jesus makes this statement. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Lest we operate as followers of Jesus in this world, holding the good news of the gospel out and experience rejection and grow discouraged as a result of that, Jesus says, if they hated me, they're probably going to hate you as well. I just want to remind you this morning that for us as followers of Jesus, the temptation will be for us to be more concerned about being loved by the world than we are being hated by the world. And it may tempt you, it may tempt us to compromise the truth of what God's word teaches in an effort to be accepted by the culture. And here's where we have to take note. If they rejected Jesus, they will likely reject us often as well. Do not let that surprise you. I want to encourage you, if you're a teenager in here, this is pertinent to your stage of life right now. You will be tempted, if you're a follower of Jesus, to compromise in an effort to be accepted by those who are around you. Stand firm on the truth of what God's word teaches. Do not compromise simply to be accepted by those around you. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me, Jesus says, before it hated you. Not only do we see the reality and the reminder, but here's the reassurance. Luke chapter 10, verse 16 Jesus says, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, listen, rejects him who sent me. Ultimately, a rejection of you and me as a follower of Jesus and what God's word teaches ultimately is a rejection of the Father so easy to, for us to take that personally. It's so easy for us to think that, that they are rejecting us, but ultimately they are rejecting God the Father. Now you sit back right now and you think, man, is there any encouragement, Pastor, this morning as we look at what's going on? There is. We see it sandwiched in between the realities Beginning in verse 7. I want to read Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 7 through verse 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. 
So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. It's interesting that Mark stacks this on the back end of Jesus' rejection. Think about that. That he goes to the effort of sharing with us that Jesus was rejected by his own, that he could not perform any mighty works there, that he marveled at their unbelief. But then Mark says he gathers his disciples and he sends them out into the world to preach a message of repentance to the people. And not only that, it says that he gave them authority. Remember, it is his authority that we've seen demonstrated, but he transfers to them for this season his authority to perform the mighty works that he's been performing. And he says to his disciples, as you go, don't take a lot with you provisions-wise. Trust that as you enter into homes that there are going to be some who will receive you. They'll take you in. They'll provide for you as you proclaim the truth of who Jesus is to this world. And then he says, there's going to be some who reject you. There's going to be some that are not going to receive it. And he says to them, in that situation, knock the dust off your sandals and keep moving along. The judgment of God will be upon them ultimately. In verse 12, that's exactly what they did. They went out. They proclaimed a message of repentance. And it says they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. What's interesting is in the other gospel accounts, we see their response coming back afterwards. And they're absolutely excited about what God has done in and through them during this season. They're thrilled by the fact that they were able to participate in what Jesus was doing. And I want to remind us this morning that we too are called to participate in what Jesus is doing in this world around us. Remember, our mission is to make disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. That's why we are here both as believers and as a church collectively. As we think through that, as we seek to fulfill Jesus' mission, here's the second truth. We should cherish God's provision. Here's the beautiful thing that you see with Jesus and his disciples. He does not send them out empty-handed. He doesn't say, hey, I hope you have this under control. Good luck. You're going to need it. He actually equips them with exactly what they need to accomplish the mission. And can I remind us this morning, the same thing is true for us. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you have everything that you need to fulfill the mission that Jesus has given you to fulfill. You say, Pastor, prove it to me. Absolutely, I'm happy to do that. First, take note of the fact of a person who dwells within you. Jesus in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth 
whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he, that is the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, dwells within you and will be in you. Recognize, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that as you seek to fulfill the mission that Jesus has given you to fulfill, his promise, his reminder is that you do not do this alone. That the Spirit of God at the moment of salvation comes to take up residence in your life and in my life. He is the Spirit who guides us into all truth. The Scripture says He is our helper. In the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, we have exactly what we need to fulfill the mission that God has given us to fulfill. We do not do this alone. Not only that, I want you to be reminded not just of the person, the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, but, but also the power that you and that I, if we're followers of Jesus, have. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, makes this declaration, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Listen, for it is the power of of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Not only do we have the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within us, the person, we also have the power that we need to accomplish this mission. And it is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, we don't have to try to manufacture something new to grab people's attention. We don't have to try harder to be relevant to the culture around us so that we can change people's minds about Jesus. The reality, Paul says, is the power that we need is in the gospel of Jesus Christ already. So instead of seeking to try to manufacture something, here's what God calls us to do. Simply proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want to remind you this morning, if you've come in today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, say, Pastor, tell me more about the gospel. Tell me more about what that is. Well, it is the good news that though you were dead in your sin, you could not save yourself. That Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, stepped foot out of heaven and came to this earth took on flesh, and dwelled among people. He lived a perfect, sinless life. The life that you're supposed to be able to live that you can't, Jesus lived, perfectly fulfilling the law of God in all righteousness. And then he took your sin and he took my sin upon himself on the cross, and he died there paying the debt, taking the full wrath of God against sin. He was buried, but he didn't stay there. He rose from the grave, securing salvation for you, and he offers to you today that as a free gift. If you will turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone, God's word tells us you will be saved. 
That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for us who are already followers of Jesus, that is the power that we operate with. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We carry the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ, but take notice of the promise as well that Jesus makes. Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. After Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? They came up with a number of different responses, but Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, listen, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Not only do we have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, we have the power of God as we carry the message of the gospel, but we also have the promise of God as well, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Be reminded, be encouraged this morning of God's provision for us as followers of Jesus. Yes, The reality of the cultural moment in which we live is bleak, it is dark, but we have everything we need to fulfill the mission that God has given us to fulfill. Here's the other part of the sandwich this morning. Another reality moment for us, beginning in verse 14. Mark relates to us this story. King Herod heard of it. That is, he heard of what was taking place in Jesus' name. For Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. 
And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. Immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Not only as we seek to fulfill the mission, should we take notice of the two truths before, but here's the third one. We should anticipate hostile opposition. Anticipate hostile opposition. What you see going on in the text is pretty fascinating. When you dive into it, you realize that King Herod was fascinated a bit with John the Baptist, the baptizer. We encountered him in chapter 1. He was willing to listen to him until the point that John began to say things like, you are a sinner and you need to repent. Then things changed quite a bit. In fact, for Herod, who had taken his brother's wife as his own, Herodias, his wife at the moment, did not like John's statement. And a moment came when she had the opportunity to have him beheaded, and that's exactly what she did. But recognize the moment in which we find ourselves in in the text. It's a moment where government and their authorities have the ability to squash, for the most part, what's going on with Jesus and his disciples. We're going to see this continue to play out not only in Jesus' ministry, but also later on as well into the book of Acts where there is an attempt, there's an effort to oppose what's going on with Jesus and his disciples. And I just want to remind us as well, here's the other part of the reality. We also should anticipate hostile opposition. Hear me this morning. As a follower of Jesus in this environment culturally in which we live, Not only should we expect to be rejected, we should also expect hostile opposition. This is not an easy thing to hear, but it is the reality that we find ourselves in. And so I want to encourage us this morning with a few things. One is simply the truth that we see in God's Word. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, Paul to the Ephesians writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We experience hostile opposition, 
unless we immediately think about it in terms of people who may perpetrate it, recognize first and foremost it is spiritual opposition that we face. We have an enemy who is seeking to still kill and destroy. We are engaged daily in spiritual battle as followers of Jesus. Recognize the reality of that. But we have the tools to engage in that battle. Paul would continue on and remind us in Ephesians 6, 14 through 20, that we have the belt of truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have shoes of the gospel of peace. We have the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. We have the tools with which to do battle in a hostile environment. But maybe the greatest reminder this morning is that all of this is temporary. All of this is temporary. Revelation 11, verse 15 says, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, listen, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Follower of Jesus. You and I have everything we need to fulfill the mission that God has called us to fulfill. Those truths, yes, are sandwiched between the realities that we should expect cultural opposition. We should expect rejection as we seek to fulfill the mission that God has called us to fulfill. But cherish that you and I have exactly what we need to do what God has called us to do. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as our worship team makes their way back up? Maybe you're here today, and as I mentioned before, you've not yet taken that step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But this morning, you've heard the good news of the gospel the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. And for you, your response this morning should be turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation. If that's a step that you need to take, we would love to help you this morning. If you're already a follower of Jesus, Recognize the moment in which you find yourself. But remember that God has given you everything that you need to fulfill the mission that he's called you to fulfill. Would you take some time this morning simply to celebrate that, to be renewed, to be encouraged, not to grow disheartened with what you see around you, but to be reminded of the hope that you have everything that you need. God desires to use you to fulfill his mission. And until Jesus Christ returns, that's what we should be about.
Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Would you continue to work in our hearts and our lives during this time of response? God, pierce our hearts with the truth. Encourage us, challenge us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand this morning? Join us as we sing. Our altars open. Our pastors are down front. You respond this morning as the Lord leads.